0: Baruchata Adonai Elohim Melakaolam Asher Bakar Been the Tovim Verata, the Hane Emarim Be Emet Baruchata Adonai Aboker Batora Uv Moshe of Do Uv Yisra Amo Uvinvi a Ha Emet Vazetic Biscut Mashiachishua Amen Amen well, shalom, everybody. Welcome to the Haftarah podcast. We have been away for a little bit, but we are back. And what a momentous time it is! We are fresh out of the 10th of Tibet, which is a very auspicious time on our calendar. So, um, but we're rolling right in to the Haftarah for Par which is the final Torah portion of Sefer Beersheet. So, Hasiz is back with me. Let the bombs fly away, brother.
1: Brooke Shams, definitely good to be on. Uh, good, good to be back on. You know, I definitely missed the Hanukkah special and um, really, really, really wanted to do a uh, last half tour as well. Um, but maybe we'll touch on it throughout this one. You feel free wow. to do so. I, I love you mentioned the uh, 10th of Tibet and this fast day. Um, hope everyone who, who fasted had a uh, easy easy fan very satisfying uh, fast mm-hmm. but it's unique because you know that that fast we we look at when the Babylonians were, were coming up to see Jerusalem this is when we could see them in the distance when they're camped outside our walls and you know it's interesting because we're going that's that's later in the book of, of Kings, mm-hmm. Second Kings. Um, but now our half Torah is in the book of First Kings, the very beginning section, with the reign of the passing reign from David to his son Shlomo, and so it's almost even though we're going through the tenth of Tevet, uh, the Shabbos, the half Torah we're about to read is the Shabbos is, uh, half Torah. It's almost like we're going back in time, like back back to back in time to rebuild the temple. Wow. And you know, um, just listen to uh, some shores and you know the tenth of the vet is, is where we're pleading for the temple to be rebuilt. And so just what a fitting fitting time it is to be reading this half tour when you're going back into the the ideal stages of the kingdom, kingdom of Israel. Yes. So Rukashem with that let's let's begin. Like I said, we're we're in uh first Kings. This is the book that, according to uh, uh, Talmud and, uh, and Chaz- uh, Chazal, our sages, that was composed by Jeremiah.
0: Oh, snap. We back on Yermiyahu. Uh-huh.
1: Oh. The one who, you know, witnessed the destruction of the temple. Yeah. And we are in the first section, like it says, this book is the, the Book of Kings, and that's pretty much what it's about. You go through a lot of the prophets and all of the kings of Israel, and we're at the very beginning stages, which talks about the end of David's reign and the, the coming up of Shlomo's reign.
0: Wow. Transitioning.
1: Okay. Yes. All right. So, let's just start with... there's There's a few characters... In this Torah, which usually we just have a prophet and maybe um, another character, but we will we'll stick with a few things about David and Shlomo. This is really highlighting them. All right. All right. So a little bit about David, uh, how he became king. The interesting story. So God tested David by means of sheep and found him to be a good shepherd. He would take the little sheep out to graze first so that they could eat the tender grass. Afterwards, he took out the old ones so that they could eat the median grass. Finally, he took the young adults only to chew the tough grass. Furthermore, he led them out only in the desert to avoid stealing. Said, HaKadosh Hu, you have been found faithful sheep. Now come and tend my flock. Shmot Ravah 2-2. And so he notices this injustice that's going on when he just kind of lets the sheep go as they please without any structure without any guidance. And what does he do he do he 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 does he sets up a structure to contain the, his sheep so that they would all have this harmony between them so that they would all have justice and he would do kindness to them. Wow. And so this is really how he ended up becoming um uh, and that mentions that he was a shepherd as this, this rashid Rabat asked this question well who was David's shepherd and mm. I answered come on and so we went through this uh little drosh about uh mimtet how uh, to go and how it refers to him as being a shepherd
0: mimtet the <laughs> shepherd huh
1: we have this this connection
0: oh goodness
1: Shef being a shepherd and Memtet was the shepherd that all of the patriarchs would look towards. So there's definitely a connection there. Um, Also a connection with him and Moshe. David was the most praiseworthy king. Um, The most praiseworthy prophet was Moshe. Whatever Moshe did, David did. Moshe took Israel out of Egypt. David took Israel out of the subjugation of the kingdoms, which menaced Israel at the time. Also an allusion to Mashiach, son of David, who would deliver Israel from persecution and exile? Moshe waged war and David waged war. Moshe was king of Israel and Yehuda, and David was the king of Israel and Yehuda. Moshe split the sea for Israel, and David split the rivers for Israel, i.e., the kingdom of Amram Naharim, Aram between the two rivers. Wow. Moshe erected an altar and David erected an altar. Moshe sacrificed and David sacrificed. Moshe gave Israel the five books of Torah, and David gave Israel the five books
0: which constitute Tehillim. Wow.
1: So there's this unity between him and Moshe. And furthermore, there's also something that ties them together. And that's the staff. The staff that was in Moshe's hand was also in David's hand. And as written, he took his staff in his hand and it was in the hand of every king until the holy temple was destroyed. And if we literally remember, um, last Parsha, last half Torah, that it, Mentions this staff. The staff of Ephraim, the staff of Yehuda. Oh yes. And so of course this is taken to be yes, the tribes, but also the Meshav and Yosef Meshit and David. Right. And the know of those. Man. Uh carrying on, I wanna maybe put a tab on that. Maybe come back to that here in a second.
0: So the staff meeting?
1: Yes, the staff. Oh
0: well,
1: <laughs> well, we'll go okay. to it. Okay. A little have less half Torah. And this is a, a shout-out to my Chail, my wife, who, who found this, this interesting Torah code, which no. is really beautiful. Back to, uh, shout-out to last Hathor portions from Ezekiel 37:15 to 28, Hathor for Vayigash. And you have in, uh, just before, starting just before verse 20, in Alav, is like, like a, upon it, you have the youth of Alav, and then you go 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. And the 13th letter is a shin. And this is the shin of to make with them. Mm-hmm. This is where it says, I'm placing the stick of Yehuda on it. I'll make them one stick and they will join in my hand. The sticks which you've written should be in your hands before your eyes. This is the, the verse. And you go from that shin 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6. 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13 letters, and the 13 letters of and you go 13 letters more, and in the word Ha-Itzim, uh, you have the iron of that word, which is, and, you know, so you have the Itzim and the sticks, mm-hmm. and so if you spell all that out, you get the word Yeshua.
0: The 13th letters of each of those?
1: Yeah. The 13th letters of this unity. So, Echad. Exactly. And so when it's talking about, I know this is a little swear from our half tour, going back to the one, but when you're talking about these two sticks that represent these tribes of Ephraim and Yehuda, and according to commentators and the rabbis, it represents B'Shef and Yosem, with the David, what <laughs> is joining them? What are they unified with? And that is Yeshua. Yes. Who do they really represent? And so if you look into this Torah code, it actually gives the name of who is Mashiach ben David and who is Mashiach ben Yosef.
0: And his name is Ahad.
1: Yes, and his name is one.
0: Wow. Well, uh, that'll do it for this week's podcast. Um, (laughs) We didn't even get to the Haftarah for Vayikhi, but (laughs) we did do Haftarah, oh my gosh. I mean, Vayigash. So. Yeah. So. Wow.
1: Shout out to insane. my, my daughter, discovering that Torah code. So if so, you're going back to the commentaries of these sticks being Masheb and Davi Mashib and Yosef, just know mm-hmm.
0: that. Okay, which, so which what's the about. what's the specific coordinates of that verse, please?
1: Oh. It's between uh, it's in nineteen and twenty and half
0: Alright. So Haftura Vaygosh verses nineteen and twenty. And you see the echad. Is Yeshua. Sure? Well, all right, yes. then. Ta-da, Talking bye.
1: about, I place the stick of Yehuda on it, I will make them one stick, and they will join my hand. That's the end of verse tw- 19, and the beginning of 20, the sticks on which you have written should be in your hands before their eyes. Wow. And so, these sticks that are being joined before their eyes, like, what, what is this unity that's taking place? What is the unity between these two Mashiachs? Is there unity? and there is, and that unity has a name. That name is Salvation.
0: Man, that is intense.
1: And so just a little highlight from Haftor, because I I missed being on here with you.
0: Wow. Uh,
1: Last couple weeks.
0: Bring it on. Let's do it. Mm -hmm.
1: Mentioned his righteousness, that um, there is no sin found in David other than the one with Uriah, and so the evil inclination willed no power over David. David could not stand in the evil inclination. He killed it in his heart. He forced to comply to the will of his creator. Ooh. And David heard curses being hurled at him, but he kept <laughs> silent for this. He is justly called pious. So a little bit about his humility. And if anyone's wanted uh, to achieve fear of God or humility, this is one way to do it. If someone insults you, it's to remain silent when you know you have the power to... Uh, retort and cause them harm as well. Um, there's a couple more things about him. So he would gather the assemblies on Shabbat, set the podium in place in the house of study, and sit and expound to Israel on the secrets of the Torah. He would rectify Israel's mistakes and reveal to them hints and secrets until he had drawn their hearts to the words of the Torah. Much like you know, if you read in the Besorah, Yeshua is constantly revealing these secrets and correcting people. Right. And so... And we have another idea. 613 mitzvahs were said to Moshe. David came and generalized them into 11 categories from Makot 24a. And point that I want to make with that is this idea of uh, that has been fluctuating around and the atmosphere, having no weight to it, is that the Torah is done away with. All you have to do is love God and love neighbors, whatever that means. But the point is, Yeshua, or you will say David, was following in the footsteps of Yeshua, he was being inspired up to him. Right in that, you're you're taking something that's so grand and lofty, all these six hundred thirteen, and you're generalizing them in a way that people understand the heart of the commandments in a way that they can accept. And so, this idea of generalizing them or categorizing the mitzvahs so that people understand, um, like the very heart, the very essence of what it means to to serve Hashem. Is nothing new. It's been done uh, throughout the Torah and throughout the great leaders of Israel. Oh,
0: beautiful! Well, thanks uh, for clearing that
1: up. Oh, Amen.
0: <coughs> uh. uh
1: Although ten people composed the Book of Psalms, it is not said in any of their names, but though, but through David, King of Israel, and so you have all these people who composed the Book of Psalms. You have like, like, um, you had Adam. Melchizedek, um, Abraham, Moshe, Aesop, the sons of Korach, who actually spoke these psalms. David compiled them together. But the psalms were not said in any of their names, but only through David's name. And so here we have a precedent of of when Yeshua says, you know, do this in my name, say this in my name. When two gather in my name. This whole idea of praying in the Mashiach's name. Like literally when you open the psalms, like you're, you're saying this in the name of David. In essence. And so there is there is a, a Jewish precedent for, for that. Just reclaiming the identity of the Sora. Man. Well alright
0: then. All right. Then.
1: <laughs> all right uh, this is this and Shimon says, When he went down to Goliath, his brothers and all of Israel left him. At that time David raised his eyes heavenward and said, I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Telim one twenty one one. Hakados broke, who helped him succeed, and all of Israel followed him. That's from Shukotov 118 118.9. But it's interesting, because this verse isn't just attributed to David. It's also attributed to Yaakov. Really? when He's fleeing from Esau. Oh. And he, he comes to the ladder, He says this, this Talim says, I raise my eyes to the mountains. Where will my salvation come? And it's interesting, because this verse continues... It says, "My help is from Hashem, Maker of heaven and earth." And it's literally Azre Meam Abomai Ose Shemaim the Arets. But I got another code for you because it says Hashem is the Maker of the heaven and earth, and we just quoted that. You know, he's David's wondering, Where does my help come from? Then it says Hashem was his help. But if you look at the the following verse in this talim, where it ends, you start with the youth from Hashem's name. You go one, uh, two, three. Every four letters, the fourth letter you get to Ion. From the Ion, you go four letters. You get to a Shin. Shin. From the Shin, you go four letters, and you get to the Vav from Haaretz. And literally, in that order, you spell out Yeshua as well.
0: Man, so, so first he was a Chad. Now he is the Dalit, which is the door.
1: Mhm. The Maker of heaven and earth. Where it says Hashem, maker of heaven and earth, that phrase, and Idrit, starting from the Yud of Hashem all the way to the Vav of Ha'aretz and the, and the earth, you spell it Yeshua's name. And so who really was the one who David was calling upon to help him?
0: Calling upon Yeshua.
1: Calling upon salvation, upon Yeshua, upon Mashiach. Wow. All right, uh, Brook let's move on to the sun. to Sun Shlomo. A uh, little transition. Hello, hello. Um, those of us who've been eating a olive size of bread, and therefore at least all size of bread, and therefore say um, the birkat Hamazon, uh, oh, nice. a little fun fact, and you might actually even read this in your Siddurim, uh, but Shlomo and David composed the third blessing of the birkat Hamazon. Nice. And so with that, we transfer to Shlomo,
0: who was 12 years old when he became king, and he lived 52 years. 52? 52.
1: Damn. According to uh, Midrash HaGadol Brashit 326. Wow. The same age as Samuel, the prophet who anointed David.
0: Oh, wow.
1: He was called by three names, Jedidiah, Shlomo, and Kohelet. And then Rabbi Hoshua said, those those three and Agor, Yachel, Lameol, and Ithael, seven in all. So it's called by seven names. Just Agor. Like yes. Agor. And also, if you read uh, Midrash Kuma, it talks about Enoki, uh, the name for cloud, uh, being David's seventh son as being the name of Mashiach. Mm -hmm. And it mentions the number seven actually pertains to Mashiach because he suffers on account of seven things. Wow. And so anytime you hear this number seven, like Moshe, now Shlomo, there is is allusion to uh, Mashiach there. But it goes through these names, Agor, for he gathered, Agor, words of Torah, son of Yaka, Yaqa, a son who vomited, Haki, forgot, for it was a while, Lema'el, for he spoke to God and says, I can take many wise horses and money despite the prohibitions and Devarim, without going astray. If I yell, for God is with me, and I'll be able to do so. It's from Shirashir Rabah 110. It was also named before his birth, like Isaac, Ishmael, Yoshaya, and Yeshua. And whatever is written of David is also written of Shlomo. David read 40 years and Shlomo reigned 40 years. David wrote scriptural books and Solomon wrote books. David built an altar and Shlomo built an altar. And so uh, he also actually converted 150,000 proselytes.
0: Say what?
1: Yeah, 150,000.
0: Wow. I don't even know what to do with that information. <laughs>
1: just, just maybe, you know, there's a connection between him and Joseph.
0: Dude. Do- uh, oh, it. come on, man. And
1: when Yosef, it connects between Shlomo and, Yosef, and there's a connection between David and Yaakov. Oh,
0: my word. And
1: so we, we read earlier from here, Shir, Shir Rabbah, that whatever is written of David is written of Shlomo. And then we literally read, you know, and these, this was Yaakov, Yosef, you know, a couple half-tours ago, a couple partures ago. And the there is that whatever literally happened to Yaakov happened to Yosef. This is why they were so close.
0: So are you saying that the king of the world, because that's what Shlomo was, mm-hmm. used his position to make proselytes? That he did. That That's insane.
1: Beautiful. Yeah. Also, one of the things we think of Shlomo is his wisdom. But <laughs> he gained this wisdom... From being like Moshe. In fact, he wished to be like Moshe, you know. And he literally fasted for forty days to gain wisdom, to gain Torah wisdom. Seriously. Yes, and it was. If you literally read it, it's, it's read the verse. It's really talking so he can guide his people, so he can guide Shem's people. And so it wasn't even oh to esteem himself. It was about giving it to others. It was about doing the right thing and not desecrating Hashem's name.
0: So and, put that with Messiah Yeshua fasting for 40 days in the wilderness. Yes. That's on a whole nother level because he just received the mikvah of the priesthood on top of the kingship. And now we have this supernatural element of what Melech Shlomo fasted for. Mm-hmm. That's beautiful.
1: man. And other thing that's just unique about him is that he he was anointed, and it's like why was he anointed? Anointed, kingship was inherited, and it's really because of the contention of Adoniah and the other children of David who are older than him.
0: Mm. Mm. (laughs) Older than him.
1: Older. Exactly. Oh gosh.
0: (laughs) Now Ephraim and Manasseh in the picture
1: yeah so we, beautiful connection to our, our Torah Portia you know Shlomo gets anointed um, where you have Ephraim taking the blessing instead of Menashe where we get our Sabbath blessing from this, this Torah Portia may God make you like Ephraim and Menashe
0: oh, Amen. love that Baraka.
1: Man. okay well, let's jump into our half Torah half Torah here Hathor he, King David's last instructions to his son, Malachim 1, 2, 1, to 12. You have the first part, which is David on a deathbed, commanding his son Shlomo to keep the Torah. Uh, 5 through 6, he orders him to execute Yov. And then verse 7, he commands him to support uh, Bachelai's sons. And then 8 and 9, he orders him to execute Shmi. And the lastly, David passed away and is succeeded by Shlomo. Oh, there's... there's interesting question we're going to get into and just like, okay, well, he's telling him to keep Torah. And then David goes in to be like, Hey, um, let's kill all these people. Right. And it's kind of interesting because you look at David and he's, he's, he's one who seems to be, you know, very forgiving. Like he's hesitant to attack, uh, Shaul, even though Shaul um, was considered, you know, equal to all of his enemies and, th- that caused him a lot of turmoil in his life. You you have him literally refusing to even insult someone or have his men execute someone who insulted him. Right. You have him willing to forgive so many people and bring them in. So the the question that we're going to answer, bizarre Hashem, throughout this Haftorah um, is the question of, of, what's the deal with David saying kill these people who seemingly served him for a good portion of their lives, if not the, the majority of it? Wow. Well. All right. So we got a few links we'll touch on um, really quick. We mentioned this idea that that David is connected to Yaakov. And in fact, Kim, Yaakov Avinu and David Hamelech are both known as the Bechir, the chosen one. Ooh. Where you have Yaakov is the Bechir Shavavot, the chosen one of the forefathers, and David is the Bechir HaMalakim, the chosen ones of the kings of B'nai Israel. Oh my. And it literally says, why were they the chosen ones? Because of all the things that weighed on their mind, of their, their kingship, their rulership, all the struggles, all the stresses they had, they literally, really, their most concerned thing, the thing that weighed on their mind the most, was that their children should remain devoted to Hashem and follow the path of Torah and mitzvot. So this is really what made them the chosen, is that they were so engrossed with their children and raising Sadakim and pouring that into the next generation. You know, they, they didn't take uh, their, their status and their Torah knowledge to elevate themselves. They took it to pass it down to their children, which is interesting because if you remember, uh, there's, a, there's a midrash of the children of Israel Trying to accept the Torah, but Hashem says you need guarantees. and they say, "Hey, the 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 patriarchs will be our guarantors. They will be the prophets will be," and Hashem says, "No," and he quotes Scripture to him, <laughs> and you know how he does, like Yeshua did.
0: You right, know. right.
1: Well, the conclusion was is that the children of Israel will be the guarantors, and you you see why you see why Yaakov and David were the Bechir, why they were the chosen ones, because their mission in life was to make sure their children was were righteous, completely righteous, that they would serve Hashem. Why? So the Torah would be made great and glorious, and that Hashem's name would be elevated.
0: And you know, the, uh, the Kehot Humash brought out the fact that when you keep alive the values that you lived for, And you pass them on to the next generation. When they're instilled within the next generation, it's considered that is that as if you have never died after you pass away. So in other words, the legacy you leave and the passing on of the torch, it causes you to remain alive beyond your death. Amen. So if we're looking at the fact of the Torah, having children as guarantors we're basically creating a lineage of fathers who never die because ultimately Hashem is our father and he lives eternally. He is the eternal one. Yes. And so what we're getting to be in this guarantor opportunity is a picture of Hashem being the eternal one.
1: So what he's saying is we get to be remade in the image of our father restored back to to Ghanadin status that's beautiful you know and you know you mentioned this idea that, that David wasn't even like all his years were donated right. by the forefathers he lived 70 years and this is this is another another interpretation there's one that Adam gave him uh, life but another one is that the forefathers gave him life yeah he had five by abraham 28 by Yaakov, and 36 by Yosef. You think it's a Yitziah, but
0: right. <laughs> it says Yosef, who is also considered Avot because he
1: had the tribe, two of the two of the tribes, Manasseh and Ephraim.
0: Come on now. It takes
1: it takes having uh two children to make you or two male children make you Avot.
0: Oh my word. Just two?
1: Just two. The the shout out to the incredible Tommy who brought that down um, some some yeshivas ago. About a year, year ago, someone in Sheba,
0: you weren't traumatized after that. How'd you even remember that?
1: It took me a year to recuperate.
0: Oh, okay, okay.
1: <laughs> I'm here now. No? <laughs> <laughs> but you mentioned this idea that they, they, this idea of eternally, this idea of existing. It says our sages teach that Yaakov never died, and similarly, we say King David, David King of Israel, lives.
0: That's right. And
1: and so there's this question, What well, where are they still alive? And it's due to the merit of their descendants' good deeds.
0: Um, oh.
1: like, like what keeps them their alive, their, their spirits alive. And, you know, maybe this is insight of why Yeshua says, you know, bring bring the children to me. Why he was so focused on, no, let the, let the children come. Let the children come and don't, do not lead them astray. Why? Because they're your very guarantors. Mm-hmm. There, there's what's gonna what they, they're the reason you were guaranteed the Torah in the first place, and oh, wow. so you have this idea there's there is one difference between David and Yaakov that Yaakov assembled his twelve sons whereas David only assembled one, Ooh. because all of, all of Yaakov's sons were sadikim but only Shlomo was really found to be uh, a sadik, oh, where his other sons rebelled against him, and so you have this idea of just just as uh, Yosef comforted Yaakov. Shlomo comforted David by him being a tzaddik.
0: So Yosef hazadik and Shlomo hazadik.
1: Yes. Wow. The comforting. Wow. <laughs> <Man>. <laughs> but we get here, and the very first verse of our half Torah talks about uh, when the time of David's death drew near, he commanded his son Shlomo as follows. I fall the way of all earthly beings who must die, since I will no longer be there to lead you, and you are still a young boy. Strengthen yourself, and be like a grown man, to control your yetzahara. Then, verse 2, he mentions, guard against all that Hashem commanded you to guard against. And he implores him to keep his chokim, these laws that were given that are beyond our understanding, the mishpatim, all the civil laws, and the laws t- testifying to historic miracles, such as like the festivals and whatnot. And so the instructions do everything. Essentially, keep the Torah. This is the same thing that that uh, Yaakov to his twelve sons: keep the mitzvot, stay in Hashem's wheel. Mm-hmm. And literally, if you read, also Yosef has this idea of he comforts his brother right before his passing. It mentions this idea of comforting.
0: Yep. Yep.
1: And this is interesting. And it's important because it sets a precedent for what Mashiach would do.
0: Oh, come on, man.
1: You know, on 14, what, what does he do right before he is about to be sentenced to death? He gives them okay. shalom. Yes, he gives them shalom. He gives them comfort. He also says, you know, in verse 15, if you love me, keep my mitzvot. He implores them to keep the commandments.
0: Oh, my goodness. And
1: then goodness. In verse 16 he says, he will give you another counselor that will be with you forever. A and comforter. And so he tells them two things. Keep my commandments. And he gives them this comforter. And what's interesting, David, like Yaakov, tells them, keep the Torah, keep the Torah. And then then you have uh, Yosef, who comforts his brothers. And then you also have Shlomo, whose name means shalom, peace. Like he says, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives. That's right. Uh, inward peace. And essentially, if you actually go back to... Uh, Yaakov, or Yosef, what he says to them in fifty twenty four, says, Yosef saw Ephraim's children to the third generation. I'm oh, sorry, Slika. Uh, verse 24, Yosef said to his brothers, I am dying, but God will surely visit you and bring you up out of this land to the land which he swore to Avram, to Yitzhak, and Yaakov. And he implores them to carry his bones, but he, he says, he will visit you, he will remember you. And the Hebrew is like, velakim pakod yifkod eshkim. Says, and will surely remember you. And there's this double language. And the Lubliner Rav, Rav Mir Shapiro, he, he comments on this. He says, there's a double language being implored here to teach us that a prospective redeemer must fulfill his mission with a double redemption, spiritual as well as physical. Says, call Israel. Could not have a true Ge'ula, which does not contain a spiritual dimension, which is so, so key because, you know, we look, I mean, there's this hype about Mashiach David coming back, which there should be. But there is also neglect like, of the concept of Mashiach and Yosef who has Cain. Because that, you know, there's a lot of people who completely neglect uh, the idea of Yeshua as Mashiach, as Shalom. But there is a principle. You know, there has to be a double redemption that takes place. A spiritual one and a physical one. And the spiritual one is is constantly taking place.
0: I mean, you know what's what's crazy about that too? On oh, Mashiach already came and he, he'll return. So what's the precedent that's laid down in the first chapter of Bereshit is that this primordial light that shines is hidden away three times. So if you think about Mashiach showing up, leaving, showing up, leaving, showing up, that's the same pattern that's laid down in Bereishit chapter one mm-hmm. So, you wow. know, it it's not a it's not a new thing or a uh, a different religion uh a religious idea apart from Judaism that the return of Mashiach is a thing.
1: It's amazing, you know, it happened, like you said, bro, she happened with Moshe, happened with David, it happened with Shlomo.
0: Yeah. Everybody returned.
1: So. Everybody returned, and he will return.
0: Amen. May it be speedily and soon in our days. Amen. Keep rolling, bro. All
1: right, so, we get into, we're going to get into a couple story times.
0: Oh, yeah. Now, my singing voice is not on today, so I won't be able to sing it.
1: All right, well. I guess I'll, I'll, I'll fill in, although your voice is probably still better than mine.
0: <laughs> I'll do my best. Here we go.
1: Okay. Uh, so he, he says, you know, in verse uh, 5 through 6, you know what Yahweh, the son of Zeruah, did to me, what he did to the two captains of the army of Israel, Abner and Barnair and Rasa ben Yeser. He killed them. And he goes in talking about remember what he did to me, remember this act. Yeah. And so there's three things that Yoav, that Yoav was guilty of. And keep in mind Yoav is is David's nephew. He was his war general, very very loyal. Mm. Uh, but there were three distinct differences between them. All right. Not not necessarily three, but there's there's one mis- uh, distinct differences between them. And it essentially it was their their goal and their methods were completely completely, um, it was a complete dichotomy. You know, David's own goal was not necessarily to rule. It was just simply serve God faithfully. Mm. His sincere dedication to God and the Torah that God chose him as king of Israel. So he had this very sincere devotion to Torah and to Hashem. And he epitomized, literally epitomized what every Jew should aspire to become. And loyalty, it comments that because he was so loyal to Hashem, because he feared Hashem so much, that loyalty to him was like loyalty to God. Ooh. Oh, However, Yoav, he had loyalty of a different kind. He, his goal was his own interest and the interest of his kin. He literally wanted to establish his tribe, the tribe of Yehuda, as a leader of all other tribes and his own family as the ruling tribe of the entire nation. And so, literally, if you read the stories, um, you, you see Yoav and you see him loyal to David and you see him fighting all these wars. He's his nephew. He's like this great general, this amazing general who everyone fears and respects. He's a Torah scholar. It mentions that he would, he was very, um, he gave a lot of charity. He wouldn't have anything to eat unless he fed the poor first, you know? So he had a lot of good qualities to him. His, one of his, his ultimate downfall was this loyalty? This misplaced sense of loyalty. And loyalty can be a very good thing, but it's kind of like uh, you have the idea that in Kabbalah we brought down of Source Mountain. Everything has to be in its proper place. That's right. You know, you you have loyalty to a first and foremost. Nothing comes in between that. What a says, what uh, chazal have ruled. You know, there it is. Wow. You know. And second to that you know you, you have all these other loyalties that come to that but nothing should get in the way where it's loyalty to um, ideals, desires, uh, even a community or, or a synagogue like your loyalty should always be to a shim first and through that blessing will f- throw forth but if your loyalty is misplaced and, and one of these things that's more lo- you're more loyal to that than a shim. Then there's only going to be disaster and curses that are going to follow.
0: Yikes. Don't get you some.
1: Don't. All uh, right. So, back to the three things that Yoav was guilty of. Now, you uh-huh. kind of know why. A little bit of his motivation, his outlook on life. He was guilty of embarrassing David because when David gave orders to kill um, Uriah um, or have him put in the front lines, Yoav went around showing the letter. No. To the people. He literally embarrassed him.
0: Oh, my goodness.
1: And so, you know, and and just to, to give a support on David, because it's, it's like this horrible thing to do, and there's different layers of interpretation meaning. Um, but one of the ideas is that Uriah, he literally defied the king. David gave him the order. He refused. And then, you know, he he even referred to Yoav as his lord in front of David,
0: oh, who was his king. Man.
1: And so literally... You know, the one thing that's frowned upon David is that he didn't kill Uriah himself on the spot. And that he sent Yoab to do it. We'll, we might touch on why he did that in a little bit. But this is one of the things he embarrassed him. He killed Avner and he killed Amasa. And this is the incident with Uriah. So this is our first story time. Ready? Ready.
0: Story time.
1: Beautiful. The incident with Uriah. King David wished to marry Bathsheba. Since her husband Uriah had uh, disobeyed a royal commandment and deserved capital punishment, King David sent a written message to General Yoav. Place Uriah in the front lines of the battle, where he's likely to be killed. Yoav obeyed, and Uriah was fatally wounded. King David's military commanders were unaware of the king's orders. Upon hearing about Uriah's death, Panamon broke out. The commanders were furious at Yoav for having made the serious mistake of placing a valuable soldier like Uriah, one of David's mighty men, in such a vulnerable position. They threatened to put Joab to death. To protect himself, Joab showed them the royal document containing David's orders. This was a highly embarrassing thing for David. Joab later insisted that he had com- compromised David only because he feared his life. He maintained that other Jews had been ready to kill him for causing Uriah's death. In truth, however, Joab was a fearless man who never took another threat another threat seriously, as we see from the next two incidents that would occur. He could have surely found a way of saving face without implicating David. For that misdemeanor Malone, the chief considered Yoav deserving a capital punishment. However, David could not afford to execute Yoav. He was too dependent on him. He was a powerful general, whose name was feared among the Philistine and other enemies of the Jewish people. Moreover, the Jewish nation trusted Yoav, and he had a following of staunch supporters. His death would have thrown the country into turmoil. Therefore, David decided to bide his time. And then we had the murder of Avner. Story Storytime, part two. Scene two. Joab kills Abner. When David became king, he was acknowledged by only by his own tribe, Yehuda. The other tribes of Israel crowned Shol's son, Ashtaboshet, uh, as their next king. Mm. But Ashtaboshet was merely a figurehead. The power behind him actually belonged to Abner. Shaul's general. Yoav, we mentioned, was David's general. After two years after David's coronation, a meeting occurred between the two generals, Yoav and Abner, and their troops. And the skirmish broke out between their soldiers, and it led into a full-fledged battle. Before long, Abner's group was losing ground and dispersed. They ran away. They fled. Yoav's brother, Aziel, who was extremely light-footed, ran in hot pursuit of Abner. Abner knew though that he could easily tackle Azael if it came to direct confrontation. Turn around to face his pursuer, Abner called out to Azael, Who, you can spare your life. Turn back and pretend that you are following someone else. Azael refused and kept at Abner's heels, seeing that Azael insisted on continuing the chase. Abner gave him one more ultimatum. Let me be, or else I must strike you before you strike me. How will I be able to face your brother Yoa? Azael foolishly continued on his course. Abner aimed his spear at Asiel's rib, wounded him mortally. After Asiel's death, Yoav and another brother set out to pursue Abner, but without success. And it goes on to, to say how Abner was insulted by Ishbosheth, and he went over to King David. He said, I'm going to join your side. And he promised him that the tribe of Benjamin, he would get the tribe on David's side and he would get him a following. And so David accepts him, and he brings him this good tidings. But meanwhile, you have Yoav Yoav, with all these embittered feelings, and he's completely unhappy with King David's ruling that Abner was now going to be a general for him. And so he makes this plan. He starts concocting this plan to destroy Abner. So without David's knowledge, he called Abner back in the king's name, pretending that David had forgotten to give him a message. Avner returned to, in good faith, unaware of Yoav's evil intentions. Yoav then initiated a halakhic discussion about, with Avner, asking him, How does a woman with crippled arms remove the shoe from her brother in law's foot if she's to perform chalitza? She does so with her teeth, replied Avner, and bent down to demonstrate. At that moment, Yoav rammed his sword into Avner's body, killing him. Seriously? Mm hmm. So he asked him a halakhic question. He pretends to be acting in the name of the king and as he bends down to show him, he rams a sword through his body. And he is uh, he's actually acqu- acquitted by the Beit Dean. The Beit Dean comes in, mm-hmm. they're trying to judge him, but he's acquitted by the Beit Dean. Really? <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: So, so what's really interesting about this, this is another time that I see the Halitza ceremony used for an act of betrayal. Mm-hmm. Because that was the whole thing behind Yosef being sold. Yes. Because the leather shoe from the Halitza ceremony is derived from the shoes that the brothers sold Yosef for. Mm-hmm. Man. Okay. So
1: there's this underlying tome. That'd be a beautiful study. Wow. You know, the Halitza and this betrayal aspect to it.
0: Okay, well, keep going.
1: So this is obviously bad PR for David and he like this is all this is done by his nephew, his his main general, and so the people think David's just bringing men in to have them killed and eliminating all the all the opponents. Ooh. And so David he does a public fast so that um he would regain the people's faith in him. But wow. still he's left in the dilemma because he he has the power to kill Yoav. Right. But he can't because killing Yoav would mean the disruption of his entire kingdom. Yeah. And so he suffers, he suffers the bad, the desecration of his own image for the sake of unity with his kingdom. But he did put five curses on Yoav. The zavaim, leopards, cripples, victims of the sword, and poverty. And each of these curses are like death.
0: Wow. So that part is
1: to the foreshadow moment to be continued later. And... Section 3. Section 3. Yoav kills Amasa. When Absalom rebelled against his father David, Yoav commanded that the rebellious son be slain in direct opposition to the king's wishes. At this point, David decided to replace Yoav with another general, Amasa. Amasa had originally been on Absalom's side, but after Absalom's death, he joined David's camp. And David was then, after a short while, threatened by um, a ruthless man named Shiva bin Bekri, who was leading a rebellion against David. And so Amasa was charged with a task of, of uh, building up a rebellion, of recruiting men. And so he comes and he sees he sees the men studying Torah, and he doesn't want to interrupt them, reasoning that Torah study takes precedence over the king's orders, and he allowed them to complete their studies before drafting them. And this is when Joab starts to seize his moment, oh, man. once again resorting to trickery. Before his next step meeting with Amasa, he just deliberately placed his sword in a horizontal position in his belt. While Yolv and Amasa stood facing each other, the sword slipped to the ground. Slipped, in quotation marks. Mm. Stooping to pick it up, have thrust it into Amasa's body before the latter even realized what was happening. And so again, he drops his sword, he picks it up, and he cuts into Amasa, killing him. And mm. well, he was once again tried and acquitted. At this case, the only person who really could put you off the death was David, but yet he has to hold on to this idea, like he has to he has to hold on to it, allow his reputation to be desecrated, his image to be desecrated, so his kingdom can still be held together. Man. And so there is there's this question, you know, because he lit, now he this is why he's ordering Shlomo to put him to death, because literally caused so much damage to be done, and he would literally. Do this to Shlomo. Act as if he's serving the king when he's really serving himself, and you can't you can't trust a man like that, despite all his, uh, all his great qualities and what he's done for the kingdom. Right. And so, he orders Shlomo to kill Yoav, and there's this question: Why wouldn't he just forgive Yoav? There's this idea: There's something more than just protecting the son Shlomo from what's to come, uh, more than clearing suspicion from his name. What he's really doing to Yahv when he says, Don't let his don't let him him die of old age, like literally take vengeance upon him, he literally does a kindness for him. Like we mentioned earlier, Yoov's character and conduct were actually unusual for a general. He was a Torah scholar, he was very, very generous to the poor. <laughs> Would not put any delicacies before sending some to the poor. And so for all these deeds of kindness, he actually had a share in the Alam Haba. But once he went through these mortar, these murders and publicly humiliated David, he lost that share, and he was destined to be in Gehenim. We mentioned earlier that David was one of the, the earlier prophets, along with uh, Samuel and uh, Shlomo. And yeah. so he, he perceives these things. And so he tells his son, uh, Shlomo, put him to death in this world in order to save him from the suffering in the next. And so I'm going I'm to skip, skip over to Shlomo. Uh, he actually comes, and he, he uh, is going to dispatch of, of Yoav, but Yoav is hiding in the Mishkan, holding on to the corners of the altar, yes. figuring he will not kill me here. <laughs> so Shlomo says, And Yahu says, come out, but Yoav refuses refuse to comply with command. And this provided Shlomo with a legitimate excuse to actually execute Yoav because he disregarded a order of a king.
0: Oh, snap. Uh,
1: so uh, Shlomo sent a message to Yoav. He says, you will die in the Mishkan. You deserve a death for killing two-sided king, Abner and Amasa, without my father's authorizations. When Yoav realized that his fate was sealed, he sent back a message. Your father already cursed me with five curses. If you kill me, these curses were bound to your family. Yoav was duly executed and the curses were indeed fulfilled in David's descendants. King Ravachav was a Zav. King Wazaihu was stricken with Sarat. King Asad gone out, walked with a crutch. King Yoshiahu fell by the sword and King Yochona was destitute. Yeah. And so what you have here, literally Shlomo makes this deal with Yoav, what's going on here. And he says, Yoav says, look, I have curses you know, I have a curse upon me, you kill me, and those are gonna to go to you. They have to go somewhere. So Shlomo makes a decision, kills Yoav in order to atone, make atonement for all all the murders that he's made, whether they were murders of embarrassment, murders of reputation, or they are physical physical murders of these Sadaqim. And so he kills them so he has Alam Haba make atonement for that. But in doing so, Shlomo so selflessly took upon all of Yav's curses. Oh, And so, we have a precedent here, and also, in, in the half Torah, where, you know, you have Yaakov going in and, and donning the robe of Esau.
0: That's right.
1: And Rachel says, the curse be upon me, my son,
0: there not you. Is. That's
1: right. And so there is a precedent within the Torah of someone taking on the curse of another (laughs) and so when it literally says that mashiach was accursed for us Mm -hmm. there's a precedent for that
0: so you're trying to say no man can die for your sins (laughs) no (laughs) i mean well my bad i'm sorry i mean we're talking about someone can die for your sins yes it's interesting how you only know that if you look at the sources Mm-hmm. Thank you, Hashem, for sources.
1: <laughs> it literally mentions, too, you know, once David died, there was this, uh, there's more disputes in Torah and Halakha and all these, all these other issues that came out from his death, because his presence brought clarity to those around him. Really? And so, how much more so for the Mashiach who would walk around, how much clarity did he bring it literally says he unveiled the word to his Talmudim. He unveiled the Torah to his Talmudim.
0: Well, and uh, you know that's the common consensus today, is that we have so many different halakhot that once Mashiach returns, that's when everything will be cleared up. So it's beautiful that you mentioned that.
1: It will. It will clarify everything. That's right. That's. What There's a couple other things that he mentions. He mentions being kind to Bachelai and his sons because he fed his men and gave them rest when he was fleeing from Absalom's rebellion. Mm -hmm. And then there's this last order that he gives on the execution of Shmi bin Garai. There is this, um, if you don't remember, Shmi, Shmi bin Garai is actually, he's the Torah teacher of Shlomo, he was uh, a Torah scholar, great Torah scholar, but he always had this secret hatred of David. <coughs> and when, when David says, he cursed me with, it's sometimes translated with an explicit or terrible or grieving curse. Mm. The word there in Hebrew is Nimratseh. And it's somewhat of an acronym, according to Chazal. It oh. says, Na'af, oh. adulterer, Moavi, Moabite, Lotzach murderer, uh, and Sarah uh, oppressor and Tuach vagabond, and so he was he was literally saying, "Go away, you bloodthirsty man! You're adulterer, a Moabite, a murderer, and oppressor of the Jews, and altogether an abominable person." Hashem is now paying you back for wiping out Eshtabo bullshit from Shaw's house and for your part in the murders of Abner and Amasa And so like literally this is David's lowest moment. His son has rebelled against him. He's taken his, his kingdom and he's literally wondering about and here's this guy, here's Shmi, who was once his like was who was his son's Shlomo's Torah teacher. Right. And he's hurling rocks and insults at him and and David says silence, and he says no. What he says is from Hashem. Hashem is is demanding something of of me. As good good uh, mindset to have is whenever we're afflicted, we're afflicted to bring atonement and a cleansing from our sins. And this yes. is how we know yes. Hashem has a teshuva. Is all the
0: afflictions that we go through. Man, and so keep keep silent and accept
1: that with joy and suffering. I mean. Ultimately, what are you doing in that moment when you're when you're accepting the suffering
0: humility. and your suffering?
1: Yes, humility. And you're literally joining to Mashiach Ben Yosef.
0: Oh, my goodness. The
1: suffering servant who literally has to lower his position to make room for Mashiach Ben David for the kingdom to be established. You have to accept afflictions upon yourself. And this is literally why when the the Talmud and were, were whipped, they went out with joy.
0: Yes.
1: Joy. Why? Not, not just because of the blessings they were going to receive, but because in that moment, they just lost their, their rabbi. They lost their Mashiach. They were without him for so long. And in this moment, in their suffering, they got to connect with him. They knew they were truly his Talmudim. They knew they were truly his son. And whenever we come into affliction, where it's, uh, we're blessed with this, someone's cheered us, um, we're, there's, there's a blessing that's unable to happen, or, you know, we're being outcasted, whatever form it may come, just know that Mashiach, Yeshua went through it, just know our forefathers went through it, know that David went through it, and take comfort in that. Take comfort in knowing that you are a child of the Sadaqim.
0: Amen. May I tag on to that?
1: Yeah, yeah, go for it.
0: Two things. I just wanted to say that this is the matzah that we eat on Pesach. It's literally called bread of our affliction, and it's pierced and striped. And then, second of all, with our daily prayer of being bound to Mashiach, being literally bound to him, like this suffering and affliction that we're talking about, when we bind ourselves to Mashiach, we're binding ourselves to atonement, constant atonement. And that is the most beautiful thing for us as believers who are, uh, we're, we're born again, true enough, and we're made new, we're new creations. But there are times that we are we're missing the mark. Sleek out on my voice there. But when we miss the mark, because we're bound to Mashiach and we go through our, t- our afflictions, that atonement cleanses us, purifies us, and brings us back. So just like the matzah we digest that assimilates into our body, and just like the afflictions that we experience that it assimilates into our spirit, that is us connecting with Mashiach.
1: Wow. It's incredible. Just like all these Tovs that we need to celebrate and the lessons we learn from that and yeah. all this uh, is by the story of uh, Shmi, Shmi, uh, Shmi. All right? There's, there's another interpretation since you're, you're mis- mis- uh, mentioning uh, Yom Tovs and Pesachs and Come all on. these festivals. Come on! Is that one reason that he did not kill Shmi initially is that through him would be begotten Mordecai?
0: Oh my word!
1: Oh all of israel seriously so we mentioned these guys they weren't just they weren't just kings they were prophets wow. the prophets and so you, know, you have you have that, that idea brought forth so there you got you got your perm and your pesach prepare for those yomtos coming up
0: could you but, imagine the very people who revile you who scorn you and to know <laughs> that they're gonna have a descendant that's gonna save the nation I mean, come on, man. Like, talk about love your enemies. Pray for your enemies. Yes. Wow. He was the king of that. And, like, even, like, literally, he was the king of that. <laughs> but, Dude, you know, okay. Since that, he
1: would pray that he would not fall into Saul's hands. And what what uh rabbis interpret that is he would pray that Saul would not fall in his hands, that Saul would not die by his hand.
0: Oh, my goodness.
1: And Saul, literally, David would literally pray for his enemies. Because Saul was, oh the pit. He was the compilation of all his enemies. He was equal of all his enemies put together.
0: Okay. Well, all right then.
1: So, wow. there's this is idea of what uh, Shmee did to David. Again, David refrains from uh, killing him. He literally comes up and he says um, he manipulates this whole idea of forgiveness. Yeah. I, I don't know if anyone's ever been in a situation where someone has wronged them completely and they're not really apologizing but they manipulate this idea of forgiveness in order to guilt trip you into forgiving them even though they're not really apologizing. Wow. Kind of a the complex complex situation, but he literally came back and was asking forgiveness, quote-unquote, from David, even though he wasn't sincere. He was just afraid of, afraid of his life. Wow. And it says, he begged for forgiveness using the most eloquent terms to describe how he was the first from Yosef's family to welcome king's return. He okay. meant to him Yosef also forgave his brothers, even though they had treated him deplorably. And he says, all the Jews are waiting to see your reaction. If you're kind to me, they will surely accept you as king. Were you and serious? So, he literally manipulates David in order to forgive him.
0: Oh my word!
1: And so he agreed not to kill him, essentially for the people's sake, because he didn't want the people to be afraid of him, you know. And so, and then there's a the whole idea of him seeing Mordecai being brought through him, and he didn't want there to be a rebellion, another rebellion in the kingdom. So here, he, here he is again, suffering for the sake of unity, suffering for the sake of unity that may take place through his son Shlomo.
0: Man. <laughs>
1: And he, he gives Shlomo instructions, be wise in the way you deal with him. And so Shlomo is, of course, being the, being the wisest of all men. All right, get you some. All right, this
0: will be our final section of story time. Story time. Come on. lived outside of Yushalayim, but after David's death,
1: Shlomo called him and commanded, build yourself a house in Yushalayim and don't ever set foot outside the city know that on the day you step past the river Kidron you will die. Shmi agreed. Shlomo thought of this plan in order to fulfill his father's instructions to find a pretext for executing Shmi. Was there a reason for the particular commandment of staying in, in Yushalayim? Perhaps Shlomo had in mind that even though Shmi deserved to die for having cursed the king, he was given a reprive as long as he remained in the, in the Beit HaMidrash and taught Torah to his students. But as soon as he left, that merit would be lost, and he would have to be put to death. Moreover, Shlomo was afraid that Shmi would incite the people to rebel against him, just as he had rebelled against David. He therefore confined him to staying within the walls of Rushlaim. Shmi complied with his edict for two years. When it happened that one of his servants escaped to the Philistine king, Achish, Shmi followed him on his donkey. He managed to recapture his servant, but Shlomo heard about this clandestine kind of trip. He summoned Shmi and told him, you have forfeited your life. No one knows better than yourself how much anguish you caused my father, King David. The time has come for, come for you to pay for your crimes. Shmi again pretended to have been David's supporter all along. He said the letters of the word, uh, the letters of the word, they weren't a curse. They don't stand for bad things. They stand for Naveem prophet, more guide, rav, master, Sadiq, righteous, and tamim, pure. Shlomo was too clever to be fooled, fooled, and he had Shmi executed. This resulted in the people gaining respect and awe for their new king. Wow! So he goes, tries to manipulate you once again, but he says, "Nah, wow. I'm not gonna be fooled. I know who you are. My father informed me of who you truly are."
0: So wait, so you're saying the the Torah can be manipulated to sound truthful, but? you have to have wisdom and discernment in order to test and approve that word Man. like test yeah. the spirits or something. Just all right.
1: He had to have the oral Torah from his father.
0: <laughs> Re- what, really? Mm-hmm. Oh my.
1: He Get said, David, David said, these are what the words stand for. And this is what he cursed me with. I was there. I know. And this guy comes and he tries to manipulate it. And he says, no, this is what they stand for. But Shlomo says, no, I know better. You know why? Because I have the words of Keith. I have the words of my father. I have this oral Torah that's been passed down to me that helps me understand scripture so that I don't manipulate it to my own detriment.
0: Now, you realize the beautiful picture that has been painted is that we're to embrace the Torah of our fathers because the guarantor, you know, Like Mm -hmm. the children are the guarantors. Then the word of the children get it from, they get it from their fathers. So if anybody else comes along to turn you away from the word of Hashem, and it's not the word of your fathers, it's not the word that your fathers have passed to you, don't do it. Run away. Disregard (laughs) it. Throw it
1: out. Strike, Strike down that false message.
0: Man, that is so beautiful because you look at how the written in the oral Torah are constantly manipulated on a daily basis. And it's like, who are you going to listen to your father? Or are you going to listen to a stranger? Mm-hmm. Wow.
1: But just, just the whole, whole other aspect of that is Legal. this concept of David had every right to act in anger towards these men, but this whole idea of him acting as a vengeful qu- King, like, Oh, doesn't he have better things to worry about than, you know, getting revenge. No, David understood the concept that vengeance was the Lord's. Vengeance was Hashem's. That belongs to him, no one else. Right. You can see that by the way he handled his restraint in killing uh, Shaul, King Shaul. You can see it by the way he handled um, holding his, covering his mouth instead of insulting or having Shmi killed when he was throwing stones at him. You see that. So his, he didn't. He wasn't acting out of vengeance. He was only acting for the sake of heaven. He saw the good in these men. We mentioned these: how to achieve humility and fear of Hashem. One thing is refraining from insulting those who insult you. Amen. And another way is to always see the good in people. Yes. To look for it, even if they are literally your enemy, even if they are the ones trying to uh, disrupt uh, your your kingdom. Household anything, it's like, <laughs> like, of course, you know, no, uh, you know, guard your heart, but understand that you have obligation to your own neshama, you have obligation to a shim and your own spiritual spiritual walk, and so guarding your heart isn't all isn't just you're refraining from people, it's refraining from the evil within yourself. We do that by holding ourselves back from insulting other people, and we do that by seeing the good in other people. And this is what David teaches us. And everything he said was for the sake of heaven. It was for the sake of Hashem and manifesting his kingdom. Because he only really had these men killed so that, one, Shlomo's reign could be firmly established and there could be peace, internal peace and with the nations as you see happens in Shlomo's reign. And two, for the sake of the men that wronged him, for the sake of the men who desecrated his image and kicked him while he was down, he said, I understand there's good about you. I understand you've taught Torah to people. You were generous. You're this, you're that. And so I'm going to, to give you what the Torah calls for and, and allow you atonement so that you may have life in the hereafter.
0: Man. So with, with that,
1: you know, you kind of conclude that Shlomo's rulership, because of David, was founded on these three things, these three pillars of David's advice in this last speech. One, regard the Torah. It's fear of heaven, not fear of people, not fear of finances, not fear of popularity, not fear of anything. It's fear of heaven, it's fear of Hashem. That's going to keep you and keep your reign permanent. So one, guard the Torah. Two, perform kindness. Never forget, even if people wrong you, never forget the kindnesses they've done for them. We're not called to to forget that. That's what David says. These people who showed him little kindness when he was down and out, who gave his men rest and food, even just that one time. He said, hey, let them be the people who are always sitting at your table. Always remember the kindest people, whether they're your, your friends Whether they're your worst enemies, whether they betrayed you significantly, or whether they were always by your side, never forget the kindness of people. And three, meeting out justice. You know, for for we talked about this earlier, and we quoted a um, we quoted the Mishnah from Pirkei Avot. It says, "In order for peace to exist, there has to be justice." And We see that when how David become became king, we read that he had these sheep and at first he would just let them go. But he saw that the 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 young, the, the prime, the sheep in their prime would eat all the grass and all the young and old sheep couldn't pick up the grass. And so they would they would they would suffer from hunger and they would die. And so what did he do? David implemented justice. He implemented structure. Um, almost like what, what Halakha does today. And, you know, justice and Beit Din court does today. Um, and he created this, the sheepfold where he released the old and then the young so they can graze. And then he would finally release the, the sheep in their prime of their life who would tear up the harder grass and who could chew the harder grass. Mm-hmm. And Hashem says, you treated sheep like this. How much more so you treat my people? You will be king.
0: Baruch Shemo.
1: Baruch and that is that is um, a summary of our of the half Torah uh, that we have for uh, Vayechi.
0: Well, I just need to tell you absolutely Yasha Koach, it seems like you missed being on the podcast. Uh, I know I definitely missed doing the podcast. grateful for this opportunity to start back up and uh those stories about yoav abner and amasa oh my word that is such rich text so Toda for bringing those out for us this week
1: story time to get all the juicy details
0: man i'm telling you because you would never ever see that if you just read the plain text
1: and need the words of the Father's or Torah.
0: That's right. <clears throat> well, Baruch Hashem, we beat our timer. Uh, so, just to head into the practical takeaways before indexing our time, I feel like we've pretty much done our practical takeaway this whole time. But for the sake of reiterating, would you like to do that for us?
1: Yeah, Um I'll, I'll pick up just, just this one aspect, <clears throat> and it's the idea of when there's problems in your life, good. Because if there's a problem in your life, why don't I say that's a good thing? Because that means there's a solution. And you know if, if, if someone's not where they need to be spiritually, good. And why do I say good with that? Um, because they have so much potential for spiritual growth. You know, it's our job to, to like the to V being be prayer for them. And if we are suffering, good. Why <laughs> don't say good because we get to connect to the forefathers. We get to connect to all these Sadikim, David, Shlomo, Moshe. And ultimately, we get to connect to Yeshua.
0: Oh, Amen. And it's all
1: through our suffering, it's only through our afflictions, it's only through our, our punishments in this world that we have atonement in the next. And it's only through our suffering, unity is brought into the world. That Torah is brought into the world. And so may we accept that, a uh, hard thing to accept, but may we accept that with joy. And mm. in our sufferings, understand that, that our joy comes through. We get to be attached to Hashem in this moment. We get to understand something that only He knows. <clears throat> only He true, truly feels. Wow. Being, being molded into the image of our Father is not an easy task. It'll be painful, but it will be worth it, and we will have a reward in the Alam
0: Well, as a famous, distinguished gentleman said, how can we expect to reign with him if we don't first suffer with him? Amen. That's, uh, man, what a way to end this week's Haftarah. So, to the for that information <clears throat> and for the insights. Wow. I, I look forward to having my voice completely back. So, um, but in the meantime, Hashem, may you help us all to suffer with Mashiach. Mashiach, Yeshua is currently suffering with the lepers outside the community, the people who he should be king over. He is apart from. So Father, help us to bear one another's burdens, <clears throat> to be unified for your kingdom. And may we toil in Torah and pray for wisdom and attach ourselves to Yeshua Hamashiach. Amen be Amen.
1: Amen. Lima. You a speedy, speedily and complete recovery.
0: Amen. May it be so. Well, without further ado, what do we know? What do we know? Thank you, Hashem. Baruch atah Adonai, Eloheinu melech haolam, zur kol haolamim, zadik bekol hadorot, hael hane'eman haomer veosei, hamdaber umkayem, Shekol devarav emet vazerek, ne'eman ata Adonai Elohenu Veneemanim Devareka Vedavar Echad Mid Vareka Akor Lo Yashuv Recham Kiel Melek Man Veracaman Ata Baruch Ata Adonai Hael Haneeman Bekol Devarav Bishem Yeshua Amen All right, well, to all of our listeners, todar Raba, This is Shomer Man and Chassiz Baz signing off for the Haftarah. Get you some. So Shavuot and Shalom.